Hi, you're listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, where we bring you the rich life histories of the incredible men and women enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. Innovators, pioneers, entrepreneurs, geniuses. These are the individuals who not only shaped blues music, but paved the path for all forms of American music that followed. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Blues Foundation. For more information about the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. We continue the series with the man who brought electricity to the blues and the blues to the big city, Muddy Waters. Born McKinley Morganfield in 1913 in Issaquina, Mississippi, he grew up on the Soval Plantation just outside of Clarksdale. There, young Muddy fell under the influence and tutelage of the traveling bluesmen that came there to perform. Bluesmen like the great Sun House and the king of Delta Blues himself, Robert Johnson. Muddy moved to Chicago in 1943, taking with him his acoustic guitar and repertoire of Delta blues songs and riffs. Feeling ignored by the crowds in the busy Chicago clubs, he traded in his acoustic for an electric guitar, and the rest is history. Here's the story of the one and only Muddy Waters. White man's asking about you. Not my favorite set of words, Muddy replied. Which one? From Washington. Damn. Negro can't bootleg without a president of the United States coming for him. What do you want? Robert Johnson? Oh. You better sing for a man. He gonna put you in the wall. Speck I will. Muddy caught a ride to the plantation commissary. He walked in barefoot and empty-handed. He saw a man he recognized as not the president. Yes, sir, Muddy said. Hey, hey, you don't need to yes or me, the man said. I'm Alan Lomax making records for the Library of Congress. Muddy wondered to himself, what the hell is that? Lomax was a young guy with dark hair, a khaki suit, and a record-making machine stuck in the trunk of his big Packard. I do want you to play something for me, Lomax said. Lomax had brought a Martin with him to the commissary. Muddy picked it up, took a knife out of his pocket, and ran it over the strings. Lomax popped off his own shoes and sat back. Within the first verse, Lomax knew he had an artist in front of him. He made a test recording and played it back for Muddy. It was the first time Muddy heard his own voice on record. He thought, I am ready. Lomax thought he needed to get where they could make some records in private. He looked at Muddy's bare feet. How about a ride home, he asked. In the big packet, Muddy directed Lomax to a brown shack floating in a sea of cotton. The cabin could have been there a hundred years. Muddy swept a hand over the cotton fields. I've been pretty much brought up on this plantation. I started working out in the field when I was 10, 50 cents, maybe 75 cents a day. Muddy's 35 Ford sat beside the house. A little vegetable garden buffered the cotton from the back door. There was a hog pen on one side of the house and a chicken run on the other. The chickens cackled and the breeze rustled the cotton. I drive to Clarksdale three or four times a week and have a look around, Muddy said, as he walked Lomax to the front door. Inside, Muddy introduced his wife, his uncle, his daughter, and his grandmother. She took me over after my mother died, he said. Lomax spied the wind-up phonograph machine. 
A pile of battered 78s stood beside it. May I? asked Lomax. Help yourself, Muddy nodded. Flipping through, Lomax saw a couple of big boy crud-ups, a Petey Wheat straw, a Sonny Boy Williamson, Tampa Red. Who's your favorite? Lomax asked. Walter Davis on Bluebird, said Muddy. He sounded like Chicago. Muddy and Lomax went out to retrieve the record-making machine. They lifted it together, think weighed a ton, and carried it with tiny steps to the front porch. They set it heavily on a table. The machine had batteries, glass bulbs, and wire stuck in it, and a device that looked like a phonograph turntable. Lomax asked Muddy to open the window and passed a small microphone into the front room of Muddy's cabin. There Muddy sat and played his own guitar. The phonograph needle dug a circle into a rotating shellac disc. Lomax asked, Tell me when it was that you made that blues, Muddy thought. I made it about the 8th of October in 38, he said. I was changing a tire on my car. I had been mistreated by a girl. The song fell into my mind just like that I started singing. Lomax asked, what other blues do you remember running on that same tune? My boy put the record out. Robert Johnson, he made Walking Blue. Lomax's heart began to race. Did you know Robert Johnson? I just see him at a distance when he was through here playing. Did you know that tune before you heard Johnson's record? I learned it from Sun House. I've been knowing Sun since 29. I followed after him and stayed watching him. Learned how to play with the bottleneck, studying him for about a year. How did you learn? Run home from work and practice, two hours every day. Who was better, Robert or Sun House? Huh, they about equal. Lomax left Muddy. A year of cotton field work, moonshine, and practice came and went. One evening, an envelope arrived at Muddy's shack. Out came a check for $20 and two copies of a record from the Library of Congress. Muddy cranked up his phonograph and played the song. Well, I feel like I feel today. I'm going to pack my suitcase and make my deal. But I'm troubled. I'm all Sharp goosebumps popped along Muddy's spine. With his grandmother's blessing and his record in his hand, Muddy soon called in sick and hopped a train, Chicago bound. Muddy went to his sister's place on the south side and learned the new life. The first lesson came right from his sister. She told him flat out, they don't listen to that old kind of blues you're doing now. Don't nobody listen to that, not in Chicago. Those big muddy eyes looked a bit ashamed. His sister's husband tried to be a little more positive. You don't have to speak soft in Chicago. You're nobody's boy anymore. His sister's low opinion of Muddy's music didn't stop her from hiring him to play a rent party. From there, he got an offer to play at the neighborhood bar. Sitting down in the corner with his acoustic guitar, Muddy listened 
the clatter of everyone standing, packed together, talking, laughing, shouting, clinking glasses, just ate up his sound. At one point, someone even put a song on the jukebox. They didn't even know he was there. Big Bill Brunsey cranked out of a speaker. That gave Marty something to think about. He heard about a jam session and went to a flat where all the names he knew from records were cutting up in person. Tampa Red, Big Bill, and Lonnie Johnson were sitting on folding chairs in the middle of the room, picking and making up verses. Muddy stood there smiling, his eyebrows raised. A slick-dressed black dude named Sammy Goldberg was there scouting for a record company. He and Muddy struck up conversation. Muddy felt like he was standing barefoot in the plantation commissary again. He said he could play Goldberg a song if he'd brought a guitar. When the jam died down, Goldberg asked Lonnie Johnson to lend Muddy his. Lonnie said, no, man, I don't loan my guitar to nobody. Goldberg said, let the man play one piece on the guitar. Lonnie, what he gonna do? He can't eat it. Muddy sat in Lonnie's chair, leaned down to turn a knob on the amp, picked up a beer bottle and slashed the glass neck along the strings. Well, baby, I can never be satisfied. And I just can't keep on. Muddy passed the guitar back to Lonnie by the neck. I drowned that, Muddy said. I put that in water and drowned it. Goldberg put his arm around Muddy and led him away. That's a good mind to have. You should think that, but just don't show it. Goldberg got Muddy into the studio. Muddy recorded his songs, but realized being ready in Chicago required more than being ready in Mississippi. He needed more than his old plantation songs and a Sears Roebuck amp to drown out the constant noise of the city and that old hokum Tampa Red and Lonnie Johnson were putting down. Muddy knew those old guys didn't want any part of him. The words rolled through his mind. You don't have to speak soft. You're nobody's boy. After moving to Chicago, Muddy didn't see Lomax again until 1968, almost 30 years after their first meeting. Martin Luther King had just been assassinated. His followers were completing King's final mission, a massive gathering of working poor people from around the nation in Washington. People rode mules from Muddy Waters' home plantation in Mississippi to join the movement. Others rode in wagons. They paraded into the nation's capital in a downpour and set up tents in the mud. They built a shanty town around the reflecting pool at the Washington Monument. Lomax arranged for some entertainment for the protesters, weary as they were from marching through the mud to the White House. He called Chicago and got money to come play for the Poor People's Campaign. As showtime approached, Lomax hadn't seen Muddy yet. A stage had been constructed at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Lomax headed over there. Parked in the shade of the towering white temple, Lomax saw a gold Cadillac with feet hanging out its windows. Muddy Waters sat behind the wheel, his pompadour tied up, fast asleep. 
Little Walter leaned on Muddy's shoulder, snoring, his Florsheim shoes resting on the sill. Otis Spann was sprawled out across the back seat. Muddy's eyes opened slowly. He cocked a sleepy half-grin and said, I'm ready. Half hour later, Muddy Waters stood on the spot where Dr. King delivered his I Have a Dream speech and gave his own declaration of power. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.